You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Affiliate Fraud, Avoiding Troublesome Traffic, featuring experts from Chargebacks 911 and ClickBank. I want to welcome everyone to the webinar today uh, and thank everyone for taking the time out of the day to join us. Uh, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the marketing director here at Chargebacks 911. I'm excited to be introducing our presenters today um, because I couldn't think of two better rock stars uh, in the performance marketing space. So you guys are in for a treat this afternoon. Um, presenting today from Chargebacks 911 is Melissa Fitzsimmons, who is a manager on our business development team. But before working with us, Melissa had some experience working in the affiliate space. Um, Mel, why don't you give us a little bit of information on your background? Yeah, sure. So super excited. Um, as Jared mentioned, I actually come from the traffic side. So I managed top advertiser campaigns for the past decade at um, a premier affiliate network. Um, and now I'm here on the Chargebacks 911 team. And obviously, since uh, we do know that affiliate fraud can severely impact your chargebacks, um, I'm really excited to be able to um, share some of that experience with everyone today, especially with Liz. <laughs> uh, okay, great. And also with me today is uh, Liz, uh, Liz Nesvold. Did I say that right, Liz? You did. <laughs> okay. uh, and Liz is the uh, uh, risk and fraud manager at ClickBank. Um, Liz is in the trenches doing a great job mitigating some of the risks that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Liz, can you also give us a little bit of information on your background? How long have you been working in the affiliate space? So I've actually been working with ClickBank for 11 years. Um, specifically in the affiliate space for probably nine of those 11, um, as well as like working in the fraud space specifically for like the last five. So definitely a lot of experience kind of with, with not only chargebacks and fraud, but also with affiliates and fraud. Well, well good. I see. I'm, I'm, I'm real excited to get, have this conversation with, with you guys today. Um, hopefully I'll have an opportunity to learn some stuff and uh, uh, the other attendees will as well. Um, and as always, before I get started, I just want to go over how this webinar will be structured. Um, the first part of the webinar will include a short presentation um, from Elizabeth and Melissa. Um, this portion of the webinar will be fairly visual, so it's important that if possible, you close other windows and give us your attention. Um, the second part of the webinar will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted online. Um, this portion will be less visual, so it's okay if you want to just listen to that part. Um, please also feel free to submit any questions that you have during the webinar. We, we promise to answer any questions submitted, uh, if not live in the webinar, then after the webinar by email. Um, lastly, this webinar will be available for replay starting tomorrow. However, not all of the Q&A portion will be, including, will be included in the webinar. So we encourage you to stay with us today so that you get the maximum value out of this event. Okay. And this first part, I'm, I'm gonna stay on the mic just for one little, uh, another second. I started a tradition last month and I'm gonna try to continue it um, with all of these webinars because uh, you know, there's oftentimes I've been too afraid to ask the dumb questions and, and too afraid to, to kind of get a better understanding about um, things. And, I, and since I have these experts here, I'm gonna utilize them. So I, my question for Liz uh, comes from perhaps an outdated idea about ClinkBank that I have. Um, my last experience with ClickBank was as an affiliate probably six to seven years ago, 
And my impression at the time was that ClickBank was kind of an affiliate network for eBooks and information products, like you know how to ma- how to make money selling drop shipping or uh, how to change a tire, th- that type of thing. Um, but Liz, I was on your website uh, just the other day, and it looks like ClickBank is doing a lot more than that. And so I, I feel like maybe I was wrong. And so, so Liz, can you educate me uh, and and the audience on what ClickBank is and what ClickBank isn't? Sure. So ClickBank's idea behind our company has always been to empower entrepreneurs to be able to run their own business and sell a product through a platform. And so the affiliate network is kind of what lures people into that. Like it's very hard to promote your own product. Well, as ClickBank has evolved, now we kind of sell a little bit of everything um, from digital to memberships to even physical products. We have a huge health and fitness space where We sell supplements and um, membership products that have to deal specifically with like losing weight or getting fit. So we're kind of an eclectic network of everything, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that that does. That makes a lot of sense. And that's that was news to me. And I think that uh, I I thank you for kind of clarifying that for you. So you you guys have um, like almost like SaaS products and things like that. Yeah, everything from like how to be an affiliate or run your own business online to ebooks about how to learn how to do a task to maybe, um, you know, we we also sell like religious ebooks on how to do like Sunday school lessons to, you know, actually survival gear uh, that we ship out. So it's it's kind of a little bit of everything. Hmm. Well, that's that's very, very interesting. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna hand uh, the, the wheel over to uh, Melissa and uh, you probably won't hear from me until the, till the end. So thank you guys again for joining us today. All right, awesome. So I'm hoping that one of the reasons we're all here is because we all know and love the affiliate marketing industry. And the great news is that our industry is on pace to grow to over $6.8 billion in the next five years. Now that is amazing because obviously we know there's amazing amounts of growth. Um, I'm sure Liz and I have seen that being both in this space for about a decade. The bad news that goes with that is that um, about 20% of that digital ad spend was wasted in 2016 alone. 2017 numbers weren't out, but that's about $100 million a year that we are losing through things um, like fraud and like affiliate fraud. So obviously, as we continue to grow, we want that percentage to shrink. Um, we want to be able to help control the amount of fraud that's, um, you know, submitted and that people, people accept. And really what we're here to do is, um, try to go ahead and let you guys know some of the things that Liz and I have learned over the years, um, that can help you guys manage some of the fraud and affiliate fraud you have been receiving. So when we look at fraud in general, there are typically three types of fraud that we see. There's affiliate fraud, which can be any of these things that we see on um, under that list. So things such as cookie stuffing, um, eye framing incorrectly, incentivized traffic, um, discount codes, call centers. Additionally, we do see straight criminal fraud, um, which can include a- account takeover, And then there is also consumer fraud, which is more of your friendly fraud, 
and accidental fraud that you know might come through. Um, I know Liz, you guys over at ClickBank, um, you do see quite a bit of the affiliate and criminal fraud, correct? Yeah, we definitely see a lot of um, mostly clean fraud where you know they're using stolen credit card numbers and then trying to take the commission before before we shut them down. So um, money laundering, we we see a lot of um, people trying to you know over promote and bypass the vendor's link so that you know the customer signs up thinking they're getting one thing when really they're not definitely a lot of pretty much every category for sure so what we're going to go ahead and do is go ahead and go through some of these quickly um we definitely didn't want to make this as much of just a um informational session on what these types of fraud are as much as you know how we really have seen um you can you know deal with them as they come in um so the first one that we are going to go ahead and talk about is going to be um direct linking. Uh, I think that there's different ways that this can be um, defined. So I'm going to go ahead and let Liz take this one because I know it's one that they deal with quite a bit on, on their end sometimes. Effectively, I might add. <laughs> so essentially direct linking to us is defined as um, basically the affiliate is bypassing the vendor's sales page. Uh, usually they're doing this because they're over promoting a product or they're promising things that the, the vendor or the seller isn't aware of. And then the customer essentially purchases this product thinking it's going to do all of these things that the affiliate has promoted it for, but really doesn't get an accurate description of the product. And we see a ton of friendly fraud from this. Um, so it's definitely something to be aware of. I think direct linking kind of has a lot of different meanings to different companies, but at least that's what it means to ClickBank. Perfect. Um, okay, moving on to some of the others for spam. Um, spam is obviously one of the things that I think unfortunately gets really uncategorized or categorized incorrectly in in our industry. Now, obviously, we know that there definitely are people who are spamming. Um, I really think that a lot of this just comes down to misinformation about how people were opted into a program. And one of the biggest things that most people need to be aware of is trying to figure out if they have an affiliate who's intentionally doing this behavior, or maybe it's a legitimate affiliate who did have a a misunderstanding, a mistrigger, um, and maybe one of there was an error on one of the email um, campaigns they went ahead and sent out, and that goes ahead and affects obviously your brand, um, the consumers it's targeting, and really gives a, a bad reputation to it. So one of the biggest things I can offer in that advice is obviously making sure that you're vetting and seeing some of the things that they've sent before. So things such as, um, are they seated? Can you actually seed on their account and see what they're delivering? Are you doing approvals on the creatives that's going out? Have they been a problem child before? Um, if you know you have an affiliate who's done a really great job and then all of a sudden one time there becomes an issue, it may not be a situation where we have a specifically fraudulent affiliate. Um, it could just be an error. Liz, was there anything that you need, wanted to add to that? Because I'm sure you guys see that happening a lot on your side too sometimes. Absolutely. And a lot of it too is just being hyper aware 
of what the different laws are because Europe has different laws, California has different laws, the US has different laws. So really educating your affiliates on what these mean and what your policy is on spam. Awesome. All right, testimony and pre-sales. Now, this is one that I think makes a lot of people shiver. <laughs> There's been a lot of um, attention on these. Um, this is really the first line of defense for anyone who owns a product or a brand where their company is seen or their product is seen to the general public. So um, the biggest thing for testimony and pre-sales is I would say, please make sure that you have, if you're, in, uh, if you're a network or if you own a product, make sure that you have specific regulations in place within your own processes to make sure you understand what you're comfortable with a third party putting in your page. And obviously that also comes with a lot of trust in the affiliate you're allowing to do this. So um, one of the best things that you can go ahead and do, like I said, is create a guideline um, of how you, um, according to what the, the legal rules are for an advertorial or for a pre-sale page, to make sure that it's constantly to par with what industry standards are. And then using um, third-party tools also to make sure you're, you're spot-checking how these are being run and seeing any any maybe problems that might exist um, is, is definitely probably the two pieces of information I would give that would best help um, someone go ahead and combat um, people running away with with your with your product and, and the claims that they're making about it. Uh, Liz, did you have anything else to offer there? Also, you know, if you own the product, if you're the vendor of the product, and a lot of our clients do this, they'll actually provide promotional uh, material for their affiliates instead of, you know, expecting them to come up with them on their own. They'll provide banners, they'll provide advertisements, they'll provide, you know, what they allow for testimonials. And those are testimonials usually go through a compliance process through, through the ClickBank side to make sure that they're regulated. So I would really, I'd really suggest doing that too. That's awesome. And I do think that this is where we are seeing a shift. There was a recent study that actually said it, and I, let me preface this by saying, I think you know, we see Taylor Swift on here. Um, we do know that people are, or some um, affiliates are using celebrity likeness. I think that's one of the largest problems. There is a shift in, in the marketplace in terms of what consumers are receptive to. And there was a recent study that showed that um, influencers, so fashion bloggers, um, you know, just people who I think consumers can connect to on more of a real basis, like it is an actual friend recommending a product, actually were found to be about 30% more effective than a celebrity um, when promoting a product. So I really love that influencer marketing has become uh, more of a thing because I do think that it can help. Um, it's a more easily attainable target for an advertiser to have um, someone officially promote their product. And I really am, it would be love to see things go this way. I think it would help avoid a lot of risk and a lot of fraud, um, specifically affiliate fraud that's out there in general. Definitely. Um, I think that we can skip lead fraud since we have a lot of product owners in this one. All right, perfect. Criminal fraud. Liz, I'm gonna go ahead and shoot this one over to you because I know this is a little bit in your specialty wheelhouse. So without too going too much into our secret sauce, um, yes. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that we see is definitely criminal fraud. And we're talking stolen credit cards, negative balances, stolen commission, 
um, we see a lot of networks from a lot of high-risk regions. And one of the major things that helped us combat this that actually drove 85% of our affiliate fraud down within the first year was just hooking our client signup form to a fraud console. I mean, something just that simple really managed that so much better. So, you know, if you're if you're seeing affiliates just sign on and there's kind of no process for for vetting them and it's a little bit of a free for all, you're going to see a ton of criminal fraud go through because these guys network underground like crazy. So, I mean, on the dark web there we we found clickbank links to products that were like 0 or $1 trials. Hey, go try out this product, get the commission for it, close out your account by this date and you can get paid before they catch you we don't have that issue anymore. So it's something that is just absolutely necessary, necessary is to use those third-party tools. Like you have to have to manage this network. Awesome, totally, completely agree. And that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this is obviously the worst case scenario type of fraud. Um, and the good thing is that it is something that is manageable. Like you said, they do start getting very sophisticated and they do work in rings, um, but, um, awesome insight. All right, so obviously, what are the consequences here um, in terms of what we see and and how affiliate fraud really can impact you know your business or your product? Um, obviously, the biggest is that it's going to reduce your margin. If you're receiving affiliate fraud, not only is it a wasted lead, you you are oftentimes wasting that CPA at times. Um, so you really want to make sure that you are on top of it to make sure that you are not experiencing things like margin, um, your your marketing budget to go away. Those numbers can add up so fast. Um, I've, I've heard horror stories of people waking up at night and in the morning, seeing the budget exhausted on one affiliate campaign that decided to run overnight. So hint, hint, I would definitely say time of day <laughs> is an indicator for something like that. And then obviously what that does is it increases your operating expenses because you have to create a team to go ahead and combat this as a, at a higher level. Um, and then Liz, I'll let you talk to the, the rest of these on here. Um, a lot of it with damage to reputation and brand is like I was saying, the these guys network. If they know that you're an easy target, they're going to tell everyone else that you're an easy target. And then you get into kind of this, this rotation of, of whack-a-mole where you're just constantly trying to, to squash these rings. So if you have something that's broad and overhead and, and just kind of gets it all at once, it'll make life so much easier for you. Which I mean, when you have these rings, they're going to skew your KPIs. They're going to give you inaccurate data. It's really hard to have all this data come inflowing from, from this type of thing where you're seeing spikes and they're harder to explain. So once you have that more managed, then all of that stuff starts to kind of flow into line. And obviously, as M Melissa can attest, the increased rate of chargebacks. Yeah, and just for, I mean, everyone loves the statistic. Um, from what we see typically, just so um, everyone can know how affiliate fraud really does affect your chargeback rate, right now, affiliate fraud makes up about 50% of merchant chargebacks that we see for people that do have an affiliate campaign or affiliate fraud problem. So it's one of the areas that we really hone in on the most. When we do uh, work with our clients, um, we drill down all the way down to the affiliate uh, affiliate level to help see if we can identify if someone's coming from one of these rings and obviously get ahead uh, get ahead of it. All right. And Liz, I'll probably let you speak a little bit about the uh, prevention. 
So um, the first thing that that I did when I kind of took over the fraud team, and I, I kind of knew a lot about my company because I'd worked in different departments. I kind of seen fraud from so many different angles. And one of the major things for us, like I was saying before, was, you know, what process do you have for, for vetting these guys? Um, are you running your client signups through a verification process or a fraud process of any sort? And that's going to be like step one integral. Um, the next kind of thing that you go to is what kind of processes work best for the amount of affiliates you're going to attract. For ClickBank, we have hundreds and thousands of signups a day, like sometimes within an hour. So having a system that can handle that and a process that can handle that kind of volume is really important for us. If you're having maybe five or six affiliates sign up a day, your process is obviously going to be a lot different than ours. Um, and then just asking for information. Like one of, we had a cybersecurity guy come in and he's he was so interesting because the first thing he asked was, so why don't you ask them to provide ID if they're a higher risk affiliate? <laughs> And that was just like, we're like, we can do that. <laughs> so don't be afraid to ask them for more information. Don't be afraid to ask them what they're, you know, what bank they're going to use to be paid. Is a high risk bank for you? Is, uh, you know, do you need to require a passport or an ID because they're in a high risk area? So, you know, don't be afraid to go out there and like ask for more. Awesome. Really, really good tips. Okay, awesome. So this goes obviously into the kind of questions um, that that Liz just mentioned. Um, Liz, did you want to talk to this more? Or did you want to just tackle this together? Sure, um, I can I can hit it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So going back on to asking for more information, like this is some of the the information that I put together for our clients when they're vetting their own affiliates. Um, like how long have they been an affiliate? What level of experience do they have? Are they brand new? Have they ever been on the network? Do they know how to run a campaign? What are their current rates on other networks? Huge, huge question. If you know that your product's really high dollar and you have a high commission rate, then you're going to want to know, like, is this person going to cause chargebacks for me? Is this person going to cause refunds for me? Um, what type of traffic or promotions do they plan on running? It's okay to ask that. Uh, what's their location? What what are they targeting a location for the traffic that they are running? Are they going to run traffic in Nigeria? Are they going to run traffic in England? These are things that you need to know because, you know, obviously Nigeria is a little bit more riskier than England. So don't be afraid to ask for that information. Yeah. And one of the things and tools that I've seen um, advertisers actually or advertisers, merchants, anonymous do in the past is um, actually create almost like a test, a competency test, you know, to where if these questions aren't getting answered in a way that you're not comfortable with. One of a, a really good um, tool that I've seen is they put together a very quick, you know, test about um affiliate marketing um, that just tests, like I said, the competency, because like Liz had mentioned, people are getting coached on what to say to sign up for your product to sound legitimate. So if you're throwing things that are curveballs um, in test form, great way to go ahead and easily vet out who could be someone um, that wouldn't be, who's kind of going off script and getting a curveball thrown at them. If you see them trip up, they're definitely able to be um, go ahead and know that they may not just be a fit for your company at that point or a little bit too risky for your temperature.
So moving on to mitigation. Now we all know that once they get through the door, that's not even the scary part. The scary part is when they start running your traffic um, and you wanna make sure that things are going, uh, all the filters you have in place worked and that they're continuing to, to abide by these rules. Um, Liz, I'll go ahead and let you talk to a few of these. So obviously I don't think anybody has ever gotten 100% no fraud on their system. <laughs> it's just, it's it's one of the, we would not have a job if it was possible. <laughs> True. So you're going to have people who are going to get through the process. These things are very sophisticated. You just can't, you know, set a system and forget it. Like you have to monitor it. So asking yourself, what does affiliate fraud look look like on your network? Um, you know, what's the end goal of the fraud that they're committing? Are they trying to get a commission paycheck before you catch them? Are they trying to test stolen credit cards? Are they money laundering? So you really need to figure out what that looks like for you. And then that's going to kind of tell you what reports and what monitoring and what data points that you need to look at. And th the other thing that I like to to really mention is putting yourself in that person's shoes. How are they committing the fraud? Why are they committing the fraud? Just looking at things from their perspective is gonna give you a better idea of how to catch them. It's kind of like seeing the puzzle from the other person's side. And then is the intent of this behavior, like are they trying to do this on purpose or maybe it's an affiliate just doing this on accident and has no idea. Um, obviously for things that are, are super complex they they know what they're doing but you know for for that brand new person who may not know and just bought a list an email list from somewhere and somebody ran a bunch of stolen credit cards through it but it wasn't them you know that might be an uneducated person so you know really looking at the difference between what's malicious and and what just needs to to be educated to that person too yeah, and I think that's a really great point. Um, and I think also when you try to put the your your yourself in the affiliate shoes, the best piece of, of advice I got when I started in this industry, since I started on the merchant and advertiser side, was to be the best advertising manager I could be. I needed to learn the affiliate side better than a, an affiliate. So really make sure that you're on top of what what are the trends in affiliate marketing in general. You know, um, a couple of years ago things like native traffic simply just did not exist. We're in a very high paced industry and just keeping um, a pulse on new, t new types of traffic, new trends uh, and ways that um, the affiliates can start doing things are just a great first step of understanding if you're dealing with an intentional fraudster or someone who like Liz is saying is just simply uneducated and does not know. Um, so definitely, definitely some great advice there. And also as a side note too, there's a lot of people buying products telling them how to be an affiliate that are yes. giving them black hat techniques. So yes. really listening to that person too and trying to determine on whether or not they're telling you the truth is one thing, but also what product did they buy? Are you familiar with that product? Does that product look super shady when you go to the sales page? Like this person might be an innocent person who was told to do something malicious. Very true. There's a lot of misleading information out there and it's so easy to be um, taken advantage by it. So right. another huge thing is customer complaints. And if you're not listening to your customer service team, you need to because they're the first people who are going to hear this on the front line. They're what we do here is we monitor every customer complaint that comes in that seems valid. Obviously, you're going to get people who just don't like a product, 
but ones that are saying, hey, I saw this product promised me this, or hey, I got to this uh, affiliates page and they said that this was going to happen and I didn't even get this. You know, like monitoring those and tracking those codes when a customer refunds makes things a lot easier to utilize your data. Totally agree. And we see very similar patterns on the chargeback side in general. Um, there's so much that we learn from customer complaints. And really, we do find that a lot of chargebacks, just like they come from affiliate fraud, one of the other large buckets that it comes from are things like merchant error. So things that maybe your customer service department doesn't even realize that they're doing that can be triggering something in that consumer to want to go ahead and, and charge back. Um, so we, it's very parallel to what we see here as well, Liz. Definitely. And you, you know, organizing your data, data blindness is totally a thing. Like if you right. have too much data and you don't know what to do with it, uh, the best place to start is what do you know is fraud? What do you know are chargebacks? Let's start there. And, you know, kind of spider webbing out from there and building reports based on patterns that you're seeing makes things a little easier. Awesome. All right, perfect. So this is what I kind of touched on before, some maybe manual review techniques um, that you can go ahead and put in place on the things that you do. Um, the first thing, it sounds a little daunting <laughs> since it says monitor and measure absolutely everything, but it is your first line of defense against fraudulent affiliates. Um, like we, we've said, make sure that they, they don't have indicators to where they look like um, someone who could be farming clicks or farming links. Um, make sure that there's any notes or history that you have on them um, from, from a partner or maybe from a partner who's dealt with them in the past. Um, I really think that in this industry, it's great to see how much everyone works together. Um, so, you know, definitely use your power base. Make sure that you're um, act, asking asking around if, if, if you're at risk or you fear that there could be a situation. Um, definitely make sure, like I said, that you're using um, not only proactive surveys or, or tests to go ahead and vet these affiliate, but reactive make sure that they know that you're going to be constantly surveying their traffic. Um, if there's a new traffic type that comes up, say that you start them on one of your products that's a little bit less risky and they constantly are asking to get on a product that is a little bit more risky, go ahead and feel free to push back and say, prove to me that you have the competency to, to run this because I have seen times before where someone looks great and then what happens is they move to someone um, or an offer like lead gen that's a little bit more easy to do to defraud or run up a very very quick fraud bill um and it's just simply not caught because we're not questioning or someone's not questioning why they want to move into something so quickly and then obviously make sure that you have great affiliate contracts in place and that you're actually enforcing them you know um in this business climate i know that you know you want to keep affiliates happy and offers running and traffic traffic going but if you have a three strike policy use a three strike policy. Make sure that you are enforcing the things you say you're going to do so that people know you're not a target to kind of get walked over um, in, these, in these types of things. And then Liz touched on this very briefly, but make sure your blocking source is based on risk factors, especially based on geolocation. Um, it's very easy to search which geos um, are troublesome in the past. So make sure that you are, are actively blocking and are not afraid to block certain areas um, just to go ahead and manage your own risk and reputation.
So why do you possibly need, you know, an affiliate fraud tool or, or when does this really kind of get out of hand? Um, Liz, I'll kind of let you go ahead and, and um, speak to that a little bit since I believe you have more, way more experience than I do <laughs> with this. You know, for us, and I think, you know, judging this is going to have to be kind of your, your own call, but, but, you know, are you hiring more people to kind of do these manual so, so when i i spoke at cmp and one of my questions to the crowd was how many people used a fraud tool and in a, in a room of about 60 people five people raised their hand and i cringed that's afterwards, shocking yeah it was, it was rough <laughs> and so afterwards i was talking to one of the the gals there and she said that she was using excel and you know social media accounts and hand doing hand manually going through every single one of these orders and every single one of these signups and she had hundreds a day to go through you know that's just not efficient i mean this this is really a good case for it's probably time to get a fraud tool you know if you're putting that much effort into something that can be so much more simplified for you then you know you're always going to want your human forensics but but utilize it in a way that isn't just drowning your team and then obviously fraud evolves constantly. So this is never gonna be a fraud tool where you're just gonna like set it all up and just forget about it. Like I am constantly in our fraud tool. I'm constantly changing things. I'm constantly running new tests, looking at new data, trying to tweak something and see if it works better one way, trying to tweak it, work it the better the other way. I mean, it's just something that you're you're really gonna constantly be evolving with. Yeah, and then for sure. Oh God. And then, you know, if, if your operating costs are, you know, you're, you're trying to hire more manpower versus using, utilizing the team that you do have and giving them something that's more simplified, it's usually definitely in your best interest at that point to, to look into getting a fraud tool. For sure. And what we typically see um, is that we see people, people take a, a layered approach. I do think that it's totally um, necessary for people to implement a fraud tool on the front end. Um, but when these affiliates come in, sometimes you do need something on, on the back end um, that can go ahead and vet and quality score how, how things are going. So Chargebacks 911 actually does have a product um, that we offer as a complimentary service or standalone to our chargeback service called Affiliate Fraud Shield. Um, goes ahead and scores the traffic as it comes in and really just helps give a better sense of what you are working with without affecting the conversion rate on the front end. Um, so obviously because of the amount of data that we saw correlated from chargebacks back to affiliate fraud, we definitely wanted to make sure that we had an offering for people who were struggling with this um, that we could put in place that uh, in tandem, like I said, helps them also reduce their chargebacks. So it's just kind of like a two, two for one. So obviously, if anyone's interested in asking more about Affiliate Fraud Shield and how it specifically works, happy to talk to, about that. So I think we're going to go ahead and move on to some questions. Okay. Uh, what is your best tip to better identify affiliate fraud? Ooh, Liz, I'll let you take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's going to be kind of a layered answer here i mean it's not going to just be one thing you're 
you know, you want to see multiple validation points that are kind of setting red flags off. So, I mean, we never decline an affiliate just based off of, you know, one thing. It's it's usually a multitude of flags that we're kind of looking for. I can't exactly give the secret sauce away. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to be more than one item. Yes. Um, yes, definitely a multifaceted solution, but obviously we gave some tools earlier. So, um, you know, identifying like I maybe tripping up if they're answering questions in a weird way that doesn't make you comfortable, um, you know, start asking harder questions would certainly be probably my tip. Um, it's just really go with your gut. If, if something doesn't feel right, you know, if it, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, you know, ask if it's a duck <laughs> um, or it probably is. So make sure that, um, you know, you're definitely doing that. And validation too, like if they're failing several points of validation, that's probably not going to be someone you want on your network. Yeah, agreed. Okay, and and Liz, without giving away too many um, uh, secrets here, what are some of the early indicators that you guys uh, look for for bad traffic? um... The next few questions and answers were only heard by our attendees. The remaining questions will resume in a moment. Like for instance, Count has a ton of partners it works with. So you have a multi-layered approach in one console. It makes things easier. Agreed. So should you hold your affiliates responsible for fraud loss? When I saw this question come in, I really, really liked it. And I think that you 100% have to. Um, you know, there. this is where I think we get into, is the affiliate intentional, intentionally doing this or unintentionally? If this was someone that, you are not familiar with, you don't have a relationship with, you haven't paid out their commissions yet on, um, absolutely hold that affiliate responsible. Um, I found more often than not, once you start pressing them that you've actually found fraud and they realize that they're, they're what's happening, they go dark, great indicator um, that they are, <laughs> you know, if they're not fighting back, they know that they got caught, they're trying to move on to kind of, I don't want to say the next sucker, but that's what they're trying to move on to and do. Um, so 100%, and then additionally, this goes back to making sure you're saying what you're doing in your terms of service. Um, if, if, even if this is one of your best affiliates and they continually keep making these patterns, they have to understand how it's affecting not only your business, um, but the brand. Um, so you do need to, um, get them in and on how they're really affecting your business and help them understand so that they can best do what they can do to mitigate these things from happening in the future. Um, for reducing false positives, um, definitely using, (laughs) um, you know, a layered approach. So, you know, if you do see that maybe you have a low criminal fraud problem, but a high affiliate fraud problem, then the best way to reduce a false positive would be to go ahead and have a a approach post-transaction, which is where, you know, affiliate fraud shield can, um, come in um, and decrease it uh, or not decrease it or affect it at all. I think another one too would be really what type of fraud are, are you looking that that the fraud system is catching this for a false positive? Like what's the difference? I know we've we've had things where we've reduced our false positive rate by adding like address validation instead of like maybe basing on on just a score alone or like layering rules so that it's not just a score that it's declining on. So, I mean, I think you need to look at your triggers and figure out why these good customers are getting caught in that population and then how to extract them. For sure. 
Um, whew, Liz, I feel like this is great for you. And I really think <laughs> the answer here is you have to have an, you have to have an automated system. Um, this is where a, a third party technology is going to come in and help you on, on the front end, at least initially, you can use them, um, as a, or a front end fraud filter, as well as an affiliate fraud filter on the back end to go ahead and at least help stop the bleeding and then use what you see and the, the feedback you get from that fraud tool to go ahead and implement internal processes that can help support the tools. Um, I think it's really valid to just say, we can't just slap on a fraud tool on the front and an affiliate fraud tool on the back and expect that everything's going to be solved. You have to implement it into your process and unique to your business to make sure it's acting the way that it needs to act. And then you need to learn from it so you know how what manual things you could do within your company to go ahead and boost the effectiveness. Um, we always like to say on our side that humans create chargebacks and you need humans to fight them. I think that totally applies to affiliate fraud. Humans are doing this. We are very smart creatures, smarter than robots, um, despite what Westworld might say. And mm -hmm. I do think that it's really, really um, essential that we get ahead of, of learning what is going on so that we can better educate the technology that we work with and use the data. Yeah, and, and to that point too, um, not just using maybe one fraud technology, but use a layered approach too. I mean, it, all the things that we kind of talked to you before are, are part of the things that, that go into how we manage our affiliate network. It's a huge network, it's massive. And, and so it's not just one thing that we use. Um, we have a fraud system, we, we manage signups, like we do, we pull reporting on traffic, we pull reporting on chargebacks, we pull reporting on customer complaints. We, I think the first year that I started designing this system, we had 96 different reports. I was just kind of pulling data and trying to figure out what worked for us. And you know, yeah, it sounds cumbersome when you're designing a system like that, but you have to. And so once you get everything kind of dialed in, making sure it's still evolving, like what's going on around you in your in your space. So like, for instance, I go to CMP every year to kind of figure out what the new fraud trends are. Um, I have a couple of newsletters that I subscribe to so that I know that I'm on top of stuff. Like if, if Target gets breached, I need to know that stolen credit cards are coming my way. So it's kind of like staying on top of that thing and constantly evolving it as well. For sure. And then I think our last question is, um, I want to go ahead and let you end on this, Liz, because clearly from your panel at CNP, you saw that only four people out of, a, I'm sure, a packed room were not putting an emphasis on the issue. Why do you really think that this is? Um, one, risk is not sexy. <laughs> we, well, we, we're here. <laughs> we don't, we, we're not the money makers. We're not sales. We don't bring in the money. So I think a lot of companies have kind of just accepted the fact that chargebacks are chargebacks and kind of turned a blind eye to it. And on that note that I think that more companies are kind of finding out like with the new visa rollout and like with obviously chargebacks becoming a larger problem over the last decade that they can't turn a blind eye to it anymore. And so I think the emphasis is shifting. I think it's shifting a lot. Um, I'd like to see it shift more in my opinion. Me too. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but, I think that I think that we're getting there, and 
one of the most important things too is, you know, if your company is not putting an emphasis on the issue and you're getting frustrated and you're playing whack-a-mole, um, like to, to be fairly honest, I walked into the CEO's office and gave him a 20 page document that said, this is all the money we're losing because of affiliate fraud. I want it hooked up now. Yep. And he did it. Like you have to put it in a way that they understand it. And that's my money. So show them how much your how much fraud loss you've got. Show them show them the negative balances. If you're you know these guys are commission stealing and getting paid out. Show them the whack-a-mole game that you're playing, but make it something that they're going to care about. That money. Totally agree. Yep. And we see total parallel um like on the on the chargeback side, obviously. So it's great that you're bringing it up. Um, more and more we hear you know this is actually a problem now, and as we keep seeing e-commerce continue to grow, um, it's definitely something that um, I, I feel is going to be more of a problem, not even feel, I know, is going to be continue to be more and more of a problem and affect people as more we see things shift from brick and mortar, especially to e-commerce and card not present. So um, I, the good news is that if there's not emphasis now, it's just going to continue to be more and more prevalent and important for people to do this. And maybe, Liz, that makes us sexier. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so too, girl. <laughs> Okay, well, I think I think that's it. We're coming up on the hour right now, um, so we're going to let everybody get back to work. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We will, um, in the next couple of days, send you a replay link uh, so that you can watch this webinar over and over again. Um, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time.